Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm James. And I'm Faye. Today, we're joined by Andrea De Luca, CEO and co-founder of Flusso. Flusso is a fabulous semiconductor company spun out from the University of Cambridge, and they are developing flow sensing solutions for use in low-cost, high-volume applications. So without further ado, let's introduce Andrea. Ciao, Andrea. It's great to have you with us today. Hello. My pleasure. So obviously we're going to talk about Flusso as part of the episode, but what I really want to start with is your journey and the lessons that you have learned. So you recently made the comment that growing a business is like growing a family and it's your growth journey that I think is especially insightful. So I think we should start with how you became the CEO. And this in itself is, is an interesting story because many of the founders it's their personal work that gets them to phone the company. But that wasn't what happened to you, was it? So tell us how, how you came about being the co-founder and CEO. That's a funny story, I suppose. I was a PhD in Cambridge. My PhD was on, was on sensors and eventually, again, some of those technologies, they ended up in, in Flusso, right? But basically what happened after my PhD was that uh, one day I went for uh, lunch to, to a pub here in Cambridge, uh, Browns, the one opposite engineering department. And then sort of that's not, uh, that, that's not a random choice, right? <laughs> uh, with Florin, he was my supervisor. And also uh, Julian, who was, uh, well, funnily enough, was Florin's supervisor himself, like many years ago. I shouldn't say how many. And uh, he also helped me a lot during my PhD. So we worked a lot together, right? So he was very much aware of uh, what I was doing during my PhD and technical work and so on. And basically, while we were sitting during the pub, at some point, this, we started commenting on, you know, how interesting was the technology that we were working on and what we could actually do with it. So it sort of uh, suddenly came on the table, this idea of, uh, okay, why don't we try to commercialize it and we start a company? And I was there, oh, cool, you know, it could be fun. Also, because during my PhD, I was exposed a lot to another startup that Florin started. So I, I, I liked the environment and, you know, that was an appealing idea to me. But then at some point, I don't remember if Julian or Florin, they said, well, you know, we are, uh, but we are very busy. We are academics. Uh, we have very little time. Uh, I have other companies as well, uh, Julian said. And Florin said, yes, I have, uh, I don't know, like two, three more at the time. I don't remember anymore. So I said, well, look, we are very busy. So we need someone that runs it. You are going to run it. <laughs> and I was basically thrown, you know, like th- thrown into the party, basically. I said, well... Uh, you know, I probably made a little bit of a strange face on the spot and they realized. So they said, well, you know, don't, don't worry. <laughs> Initially, just do what needs to be done. If you need advice, of course, we are here. We can help you and so on. Uh, it will be fun, right? So they, they, I guess they, they calmed me down a little bit and they, they they sold me this idea and eventually said, yes, why not? Let, let's start it. So that's how actually Flusso was born and that's how I ended up, well, running it, <laughs> basically. So, so you went for lunch and came back as a CEO of a startup. <laughs> well, at that time, uh, I sort of came back as a, with, with a lot of questions because um, I think this uh, this lunch pub happened uh, 
actually quite a bit before we started, uh, we officially started Fluso. So there was quite a long incubation period, if you want. But eventually we, we did start it, and I did start as a sort of uh, SSU at Fluso. Although at the beginning I didn't have any titles, you know. I was not getting any money from the company. I mean, the company was nothing really at the, at the beginning, right? So there was not... Uh, there was no such a thing like a weight of saying, oh, you know, I'm the one running it. It was basically a company was, uh, you know, it was me doing some stuff for them. There were other uh, two, three people, of course, contributing, but it was very much informal, right? So, so as a first time CEO, what was your approach? You know, where did you start? How did you formulate a plan of action? Oh, I I had no clue at that time, right? I mean, that's that's probably the most honest answer, the most honest answer I can give you. <laughs> so we sort of, I guess, what we did, we took it uh, sort of uh, step by step, little by little, and then we started. I think so. Just to give you a little bit of timeline, we probably had this launch. I think it was at some point in 2015, I think, and then we actually incorporated the company in June 2016. So there was good at least six months probably that passed in between. Although in these six months, to some people, we were talking about this idea and so on, right? And then we really started doing things, meaning we we, we hired our first engineer and we started renting our first office in Q4 2017. So from the incorporation date to actually having, well, an office, 11 meter square office with three desks, like and the coffee table, it, 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 there were probably 15 or 18 months in between. And that's, that, that's quite a long time, uh, where basically we were still doing some work, which was in between research and in between research useful potentially for flus, so and trying to especially move all the IPs from the university into the company and also applying for uh, governmental grants in the UK at the time to, to get a little bit of money to start with and also with the help of Cambridge Enterprise to basically get the ball rolling. And that took quite a long time. So you talked before about the growth journey and, you know, almost what you thought it was going to be like, like a, you know, really straight, nice and easy growth. But actually your reality was the same as I think of a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs and startup companies. So do, do you want to just talk us, to us about the noisy staircase? Yes. So initially, again, when, when you do something for the first time, well, basically you have no clue, right? So you, you talk to people that maybe have done that before and they give you, they share with you their experience. And that's actually a beautiful thing here in Cambridge. There are so many people well, that have done that before, and they're also very willing to share their experience, which sort of makes, how to say, the journey of someone like me definitely easier, right? So it's not it's not entirely like jumping in in the dark, right? But um, you, you get lots of different experiences. So, so it very much also depends on the business model of the company. So, for example, hardware and software, they're usually very different, right? So usually what you see, even if you start, you know, business school type of material, you say, okay, companies can grow linearly, companies can grow exponentially, you have this, uh, you know, uh, mythical uh, hockey stick that somehow has to show up in your slides to really convince investors that it's worthwhile to invest in your companies and so on. But eventually, what I actually figured out, and also some other people I, I usually talk to, they sort of experience something very similar, is that, especially at the beginning, and then we can talk how long this beginning can be, things actually happen very much in, in steps. So there is, you know, a big difference from where actually you have no office, no no people in the company, which was basically these first 15 or 18 months that I 
talked about before to when sort of you get an office and the first guy in, that's a, a big step. Because, for example, I remember I ran the first VAT return for Flusso myself, just with a little bit of support from the external accountant. And so th- there is all this support in things that you end up doing when you start a business that, again, first time you, you just have no clue and you have to figure out. And that's a first big step. But then again, I can recognize some milestones in our four, five, even six years where sort of these big changes come. I mean, definitely, for example, the acquisition that happened last year, that's, again, one of those milestones, and that will lead to a big step. I mean, now we are sort of going through that, right? It's it's going to be a big change. But again, when you get sort of the first grant coming in, again, some, some money, you need to use them. You have promised that you will use them in a certain way. That's a step. You get the first funding round in, again, a big step. Then you move sort of between five to 10 people. You double in size. Again, big step because all the supporting functions you don't have in place. So you have to change. You have to somehow figure out a new way to work rather than with five people and you sit around the table all together with 10 people that don't fit around a single table, right? <laughs> so that's that's sort of one of these very simple things, but they, they do happen in reality. And again, it's a big step when uh, probably every time you double in size, five to 10, 10 to 20, those are big changes for someone uh, in a company. And again, you... Investors come on board, big change again. So, you know, this this is sort of my experience at the in the first five or six years at at Flu. So the things that don't just happen linearly or exponentially, they, they just happen in, in steps, right? Hot off the press this week, Cambridge Tech Week announced a new addition to the week's activities with an activity called Innovation Alley. To find out more, we've invited organising committee member Chris Bruce back on to tell us all about it. So hi, Chris. What is Innovation Alley? Hi, Faye. It's a really exciting opportunity for startups and early stage businesses to showcase what they're about, their technology and their businesses at Cambridge Tech Week. And what um, are they going to be doing at the event? Is it exhibition? Are they going to be pitching? And who's going to be there? Yeah, well, it's, it's essentially an opportunity to show your wares. So there's an exhibition uh, area on either the 9th or 10th of May, where we've got uh, a row of, uh, of, of exhibitors under this Innovation Alley uh, banner. And um, we'll be encouraging visitors and delegates who could be investors, could be corporates, could be other opinion formers that will be at the conference at the Hinkston Hall uh, to, to visit uh, the alley and meet meet the, in, the innovators and uh, entrepreneurs. So it, it's a literal alley as well as a catchy name. Yes, exactly. It's from the uh, auditorium through to the refreshment area. So it's one of the highest footfall parts of Hinkston Hall. It sounds great. And especially if some of these companies like the early stage companies are going to be bumping into potential investors. Um, so it's really exciting. So how do people get involved? apply uh, and perhaps also i should say not only is it an exhibition it's also the chance to be awarded a prize or the runner-up for the innovation alley award which will be judged by uh, a selection of independent judges and we'll of course be giving publicity to those that are shortlisted and the, the winners so there's something in that for uh, the participants to apply uh, go and see our, our website uh, cambridgetechweek.co.uk and all the details are in there uh, to show how to apply 
That's brilliant. Um, thanks, Chris. Um, I'm sure it will be of interest to many of the companies who are early in the tech journey. Um, it will be definitely interesting to see who makes the final alley as well. So as Chris says, listeners will find links for more information on both our social channels and those of Cambridge Tech Week. And you can also follow the hashtag CTW23. Thanks, Chris. And we'll have you again on soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Faye. Just to say, applications have got to be in by the 14th of March, and there are only 20 slots. So please get your applications in quickly and um, give a chance to, to show what Cambridge has to offer. In other news, Fetch AI in Cambridge and German giant Bosch have joined forces to launch a new foundation to fuel industrial adoption of software agents, artificial intelligence and Web3 technology. Over the next three years, the Fetch AI Foundation says it will inject up to $100 million into a grant program for the development and application of those technologies. Cambridge-based Amadeus Capital Partners are flexing their international muscle by unveiling an $80 million fund with Apex Ventures in Vienna. They will support deep tech early stage startups, mainly in the Dutch area, which comprises of Germany, Austria and Switzerland. The aptly named Amadeus Apex Technology Fund has had its first close of 28 million euros and has made its first investment in German space tech company Okapi Orbits. In other funding news, Iron Innovation Capital, based in London and Cambridge, has announced it's scaling its investment team. The deep tech backer has just closed a large successor fund, although specific details are not yet being revealed. And now back to our episode with Andrea De Luca. Let's just level set everyone. Obviously, I've I've watched you for the last couple of years because you you've appeared on the Twenty One to Watch list. But tell us a little bit about what Flusso does and where you're up to now. Well, we are a semiconductor company. We are based on a on a fabless business model, meaning that actually we don't do the manufacturing ourselves. We outsource that one, but everything which is from idea generation to design of the sensors we make, and then eventually sales and marketing activities and sort of customer support and all the rest, we, we take care of all of it, right? Now, the sensors that we that we make, they have uh, one thing in common, which is the technology. So the technology platform on which they are based is actually what we brought from the university into Flusso. And from this technology, we can have different products. The first product that we came up with, we launched it at the end of 2020, was a flow sensor. It was designed to be the world's smallest flow sensor. Then uh, in uh, mid-2022, we launched our second flow sensor, which is an air velocity sensor in the case, very similar technology to the previous one, just it would allow us to access a slightly complementary set of applications. And then we have a very interesting product line now, which is about gas sensing, which we well, we haven't launched yet, but we have started sort of putting uh, uh, fillers out about what we are doing there. So we, we mainly have basically these two product line now, and potentially we can have more in the future, right? And this technology is a typical uh, uh, CMOS technology, which is basically the same of all the microprocessors that you have in your mobile phone, for example, or in your, uh, you know, smartwatch and this, all these type of gadgets. So that's, you know, it's something that we can 
uh, ideally uh, producing very high volumes, very high quality, at an attractive uh, price point and so on. So the platform, what, what kind of functionality does that provide? Is that like device management and program logic and all those kinds of things? Uh, no, I'm talking about a hardware platform. So it's basically a set of processes and materials that allow us to make some specific sensors. So that's, that's really the hardware part of our products. Then, of course, we have also a more firmware and more sort of uh, software part of the product itself, which we do sell to, to our customers as well. And that's the soft part of our product offering, which allows basically our customer to use the hardware. So you've said some of the challenges of you're doing everything and then you're going from a couple of people to five people to 10 people. How did you do this? Because you were thrown into this job. How did you actually build a team, manage a team? And did you have to change your own personal style at all as well as as the, the business evolved? Yeah, the short answer to, to your last question is is yes. I mean, the business was saying, I guess in time, I also changed uh, quite a bit with it. But uh, Flory, my supervisor, he, uh, he had done this before, right? So he could advise a lot on, on this first step, how to do things, what was the right things, what has worked in the past and what not. So again, that was a fantastic source of knowledge, if you want, or of experience, right? But initially... It's, it's difficult because you you do start that, well, you're you are basically maybe the only one or the one of three people in a company. So, so somehow the work needs to be done. This work is very, is very broad because it covers, you know, technical aspects, commercial aspects, all the supporting functions that you can imagine that are in a decent sized company. But you, you end up doing what, what you need to do. But you're also lucky because... The company is very small. So actually, each of the tasks, it's actually very small in size. So, you know, you can learn with something very simple. And then as the company grows, of course, that specific task increases in complexity. But that's exactly the point where you either realize that it's something that you don't like doing or that you're very poor at it. And you basically bring someone in that uh, can do that better and also allows yourself to actually spend your time in adding value where you can actually add more value. So at some point, you just have to make this call of, okay, what of things that you want to keep doing and things that really that doesn't make sense for you to keep doing and just bring someone in with that specific set of skills. And then you just repeat this process every time you realize that there is something that needs to be done where either there are no skills or no time or no will because, well, people might not like it, right? You just bring someone someone else in and sort of the initial phase of the growth is very much like that. You identify an area where you need to do something. If you can do it, you do it. Otherwise, you bring someone in that can do it. So that's how increasing the team size, that's how sort of it works. Now, I'm not sure if it's, you know, probably the the best or more efficient way, but that's what I experienced with Fluso. I'm interested to just go back. I mean, like many of our guests on the show, you've got this connection to the university, but also... You've also got this relationship with Warwick as well, which is, you know, different. So it might be interesting to get your experience of working with two universities. I mean, you had to transfer IP, so it'd be good to understand that process. Was Cambridge Enterprise involved in that process? 
Yes. So, well, with Warwick, uh, let me start saying that I didn't, apart knowing very well Julian and he's an academic at Warwick, I, I didn't have to deal with Warwick much, actually. Very close to zero, actually. Uh, because we were lucky that the IPs that we needed, they were at the University of Cambridge. Well, actually, in, in Cambridge Enterprise, some of them. And some, we started the patent application, uh, Florin and I, and we were part of Cambridge University. So, again, Cambridge Enterprise helped us through that process. So the fact that there was only one university involved that made things easier, I suppose. But again, when I say easy, well, still it's not very easy <laughs> because these things tend to be tend, tend to have a level of complexity which uh, well, which is there. And again, in that case, I was lucky because Florin had done that before. So at some point, I clearly remember the initial meetings. I had very little clue of what they were talking about. So again, it was very, very sharp uh, sort of learning curve for me there. And it took us quite a while because I told you it, it took us probably 15 to 18 months to actually start from saying, okay, this is the company incorporated. Okay, this is where we can hire our first engineer and all the IPs at that time were already in flux. So, so it, it took quite a while. There were some negotiations that needed to be done. There was well, lots of paperwork associated to that and and, and so on. But it, it's good that Cambridge Enterprise is there because at least they are very helpful and they can help you also in uh, this pot of money that you can use to start the company and the IPs. So they help you also going through the process of uh, filing the initial applications and so on. So that's that, that's that's incredibly helpful. I mean, I think you've been very open about how the Cambridge ecosystem has supported you. We have a number of students and researchers that are either started companies or are thinking about starting companies listening to the show. What would you explain to them in terms of the support you got from the ecosystem? How important was being a first-time CEO within Cambridge? You know, how important was that support infrastructure to you? Well, probably I would say that, uh, I mean, regardless if you are the CEO or the CTO or whichever other role within the company, if you are part of the funding team, you get a very strong support literally for everyone. So initially, again, I didn't know how things were working in Cambridge from this point of view. So everyone was telling me, oh, here, you know, here it's easy. There are many, many people that can help you and advise you and they can open doors for you and share their experience. So initially I was like, oh, well, okay, but what, what can they know about actually what we want to do at Flux? So I was, you know, very naive from that point of view. Then eventually I realized that, especially at the beginning, there are so many points in common that this company have that actually even someone that did, I don't know, something in... Uh, biomedical field, right? Completely different from electronics. It can actually help you a lot in this initial phase. So that's one side of it. And all these people are from sort of in any in any environment you can think of. There are many at the university. There are many in Cambridge Enterprise. There, are, there is a group of uh, investors and angels that can support you a lot. Again, not only from the financial point of view, but in terms of experience and uh, what to do, how to deal with problems, they can work as, you know, sounding boards for all sorts of topics. That's very, very powerful because sharing sort of this knowledge is an incredibly efficient way to actually jumpstart or kickstart a company, right? So you are never starting really from zero, but you always have a sort of initial set of notions or things that you know can work and you know don't work so that's that, that's very good right because it can bring you quite a lot of advantage in the in going through this initial phase but then eventually also later on when you uh, when you scale up 
right? Because again, then sort of challenges will be different, but definitely there is someone that knows someone else if that someone cannot help you. <laughs> so there is, this network is incredibly you know, efficient in bringing you the information that you need or the advice that you need. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're actually now part of that support network as well. I've, I've sat in sessions with you where you've been talking about the the lessons that you've learned from as, as a founder. You know, it's painful but rewarding. Everything takes longer. It costs more. You know, all of those types of things. And I think, you know, you're on the other side, although you're still going through the scaling up, you know, you're on the other side where you're also giving giving some suggestions and input to to other people. And I get, so so my question is going to be, in these six years, is there anything that you would have done differently? Anything that you, you think you would have, you would have tackled in a different way or that an opportunity that you may have handled differently? Um, well, yes, pro- probably many, <laughs> but I think, um, I think, yes. Well, th- there is one consideration which is related to risks. Again, when you sort of are, uh, you know, young and you have, you have never done these things before, you tend always to be very positive, very positive, and um, minimize risk or even not being aware of them, right? So probably being a little bit more proactive in um, going through sort of what is called the risk analysis and so on, and really paying attention to what might come your way. I think that's something that. I have learned in time. I still have lots of to learn about that and how to actually take full advantage of this type of uh, thinking process. But bringing this type of thinking in at an earlier stage, I think, can be very advantageous. And uh, I, I have not done that at, at that time, right? Even now, probably I do in a little way because I'm naive and positive, right? <laughs> but that's you know that's also part of the personality. <laughs> uh, but that's very important. And Andre, you you did say, didn't you, um, that you, part of the reason for taking the role is to learn, you know, and that's that's important important for all of us. Yes, no, that's very important. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, uh, I mean, to me at least, is it was probably one of the strongest motivation, sort of to see again to experience what that means, and as part of that, you know, learn new things, do new things, uh, and sort of grow, and you know, all this sort of personal development side of things for me, for me in general is very important. Um, so this one was definitely a fantastic opportunity to uh, to tick that box. But then I think that that was definitely motivation number one that made me say, well, yes, let's, let's try this thing. But I think then there were rather two more, which are one is that, again, even if in a naive way, I was aware that would have been something difficult. But that's, you know, that, that's something that motivated sort of challenges and something, things which are difficult, it's another motivation for people and for me as well. I think I fall in that category. And then the other one is the potentially out, out, out of flu. So it could have come something uh, useful for, for, for many people out of it because the sensors that we make, they actually have application in the, in the medical field, they have application in, in the environmental fields and, and so on and so forth. Right? So potentially we could have had, you know, like a good meaningful impact as well on, uh, um, on people and the environment and, uh, you know, t- topics which are very important to, for, for everyone really. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. 
There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. We also offer a range of high-quality meeting spaces for hire and for tech event organisers, our auditorium, lakeside pavilion and atrium spaces are perfect to bring your communities together for in-person and hybrid events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. So as we kind of draw the conversation to a close, we won't ask you to reveal anything commercially sensitive, of course, but you've had the acquisition from private equity, which was obviously a really significant milestone and congratulations. What does the future hold? Well, that's um, that's uh, that, that, that's an interesting thing. Well, the biggest change that happened last year is that basically suddenly we we moved from being just sort of flu so startup in Cambridge <laughs> to to be part of actually entities which have a global footprint. So you start dealing with uh, you know people in in other countries in other continents. Suddenly there is this size. <laughs> that that you are part of, which again you, you try not to be not to affect too much how you do things, but it's inevitable that it will do. So again, that's that's a source of big change. But in general, again, what it comes sort of with being part of something bigger is also the advantages slash disadvantages as well, if you want, of having at hand way more resources that we had before. So that one. Of course, it's very important because we can accelerate uh, product developments, we can accelerate uh, commercial engagements and, and everything else, right? But again, the downside is that now, because everything that you do is more, also the potentially the risks or the, uh, you know, the, the, the downside of messing it up, if you want, are also larger, right? So there is also that, that side of pressure that comes, which is, um, which is part of this change. But in general, I think it's it's something that I'm uh, I was looking forward to see and experience how it it really means to be part of a, of a large corporation now, right? So it, it's certainly been a, a whirlwind of six seven years um, for you. I, my my final question is: If Florin invited you for a meal at Browns again, would you go? Yeah, I think I, I think we have been in Browns many times since then. <laughs> I always said yes. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I, I think uh, I think if I had to if I had to sort of go back and say again, well, would I do it again? I would probably say yes because I it's been challenging, it's been painful, and and everything else that comes with it. But it's also be very very exciting. Having a flat life is not something that people look forward to, right? So you you need some. Uh, ups and downs and bumps and you know setbacks and all the rest <laughs> so it's uh, i would definitely do it again that's great thank you so much for your time andrea and and all the best in these coming years fingers crossed it was my pleasure to be here thank you very much for the invite today's show was produced by carl homer of cambridge tv and supported by our media partner business weekly The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show.